Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles, please, with me. We are in a session. We're going to go through this quickly this morning. Devoted the first three months of this year of 2020, January, February. So this is a little different. These three months, we're just going to focus in on a teaching. The first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis. So please, in Genesis chapter 7, if you would have it there. In a moment, I am going to read from Genesis chapter 7. Again, this is a teaching time. We are session number 8 out of 10. In this... I have chosen to not just tell stories of creation, stories of Adam and Eve and sin, stories of uh, the flood that we're coming to, but to go back and because we live in a very interesting time that we are able to go and to look at interpretations of the Scripture when So often it has been said, well, that could never happen. That's impossible. This is impossible. But we have been able to catch up and now make sense of a lot of the things. I mean, we shouldn't be surprised. We accept it by faith, but there's a lot of stuff that we can go back and make sense of. And so this morning we're going to be doing that. We are going to be going and trying to make sense in a number of things that have just maybe been taken for granted uh, in regard to the text that we have. I'm going to start off today with a quiz. Oh, there's a groan. Okay, quiz. We did a quiz last week very quickly. The quiz, 10 questions today. Are you ready for them? Here's the first question. Why did Adam call his wife Eve? First, she was the firstborn among women. She was a helpmeet fit for him. She was the mother of all living. She was taken out of man. Just tell me, what do you think it is? Okay, the answer is C, she was the mother of all living. Next, what kind of leaves did Adam and Eve use in an attempt to cover their nakedness? Fig, sycamore, palm, or olive? Fig. (laughs) Number three, after Adam and Eve sinned, what did God make for them? Garment of fig leaves, coat of skin, clothing made from the dust of the earth, or a loincloth of pure linen. Coats of skin. What kept Adam and Eve from returning to the Garden of Eden? Cherubim with the flaming sword, cherubim with the double-edged sword, an angel with the fiery spear, an archangel with a scroll. It's A, cherubim with the flaming sword. Next, how many children did Adam and Eve have? Two, three, four. Four, more than four. More than four. Next, who was Adam and Eve's firstborn son? Seth, Abel, Cain, Lamech. C, Cain. Which of Adam and Eve's sons was a keeper of sheep? Enosh, Cain, Seth, Abel. Abel. Which of Adam and Eve's sons was a tiller of the ground? Enosh, Cain, Seth, Abel. Cain. And what 
son did Eve say God gave her in place of Abel? Enosh, Enoch, Seth, Cain. Seth. Last but not least, how many years did Adam live? 930, 820, 890, 750. 930. Art, you have a long way to go. How many got all 10? Okay, that's okay. I'm not going to keep going down through that. Again, the resource page for what we are going through here is found here. Uh, a lot of this is where I'm getting the resources from. In particular, creation.com or answers to Genesis. And there's so much information. You can even search, put questions in, get answers to this. This is on web. This is on podcast made available so that go back over these notes, the teachings that we have. Encourage maybe others who are trying to find answers in regard to the origin of life that they can go to this. We again have notes. Notes are available at the Info Center. Those notes basically are what you see in front of you will be the notes that you receive, allowing you to, uh, again, fill in the blanks. I don't fill in the blanks. I do just verbally, but not in your notes. Genesis chapter 7. Would you join me as we just read this text together? The Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now I will send rain on the earth for forty days and forty nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was six hundred years old when the flood waters came on the earth, and Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood, pairs of clean and unclean animals, the birds and all creatures that move along the ground, male, female, came to Noah, entered the ark, and God commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. I slow down because may our hearts always grieve over that. And after seven days, the floodwaters grieve in the one sense that needlessly, needlessly, many lives, estimated maybe around 10 million lives were lost within a matter of a few weeks of this event. It breaks God's hearts, and I honestly believe, don't you, that the whole time this was happening, we see Jesus weeping. I believe our Father wept over all of this. There was no joy. There was no adulation. It was pure brokenness. As he had earlier in the chapter before grieved that man had been made to die in this way. Father in heaven, we just ask that you would help us as we go through a number of points in this chapter. That Lord, these points be references for us, not only for us maybe today or in the days ahead, but be references 
when we talk about these things. Because, Lord, we know we live in a day that we cannot simply talk about how God is good and that God answers prayer and that we need a Savior. But frequently we have to go back to this origin of sin. Because many times there is a disbelief that we need forgiveness. We don't need to repent. That we are okay. But God, when we read the story, we recognize and we have a vivid picture of what goodness did look like and what was lost in sin. So Lord, I pray, help us to not only understand this, help us to assimilate this into our lives today and beyond, we pray in Jesus' name. If that's your prayer, say amen. amen. May it be. When the Scriptures talk of going into the ark, and in that passage it referred to seven, at times seven pair going in, and then other times it would say one pair going in. What it's saying is, it's sometimes that's a point of confusion, just need to just clarify if you look at it, the seven pair references the clean animals. That includes birds, the clean animals going in, and then one pair references the unclean animals. The vast majority were the unclean. The vast majority were the unclean going into the boat. And you can read of what constituted which. Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14 tells you which is which. Leviticus 11, Deuteronomy 14. I didn't throw that on the slide, but I was looking at that thinking we probably need to take just a moment and mention that. There's a lot of debate regarding the validity of the book of Genesis, especially the first few chapters. If we do not hold true to the Scriptures here, then everything else is contested when we move ongoing beyond Genesis into chapter 12, Abraham, and on through to Moses, on through to the prophets, the judges, the prophets, the kings, and to the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. If we can't grasp the significance of the seed man born out of sin, or the seed man which thought was, was thought to be Cain and Abel, but that there would be a seed man that would restore the order that we lost in Genesis, then really all of Scripture doesn't make much sense. It's just allegories, poetic literature, but don't take it any more serious than that. As we study this, there are some tremendous findings. One of the things that I remember growing up and hearing was, was the flood global or local? Did the flood cover the entire earth? Could it really cover the entire earth? There was a lot of debate and a lot of oscillating back and forth in regard to the beliefs within the church as to the nature of the flood. Well, we've learned a number of things regarding the evidence that we see around us. Thus, we can interpret. Because we can't use scientific evidence. None of us were there. We, none of us recorded it. None of us were eyewitness to it. So we can't use scientific evidence. We can simply look at what we see now and bring interpretation to it. And in so doing, when we look at the flood, verses in, the, in this passage in chapter 7, verses 19 to 23, eight times words are used to emphasize that everything was flooded. Eight times the words mention all the earth was covered. 
when we begin to see the picture of the ark, the evidence is not that it's just a local flood. But we can ask some fundamental questions with regard to the flood that I think can help us be assured of the answer. Here are some questions, first of all, regarding the flood. Why did God bother Noah with an ark if it was only ever going to be a local flood? I mean, after all, Noah could have walked to the other side of the mountain range to avoid it. Why did God send every kind of animal to the ark that they would escape extinction? I mean, a local flood would have left animals from other areas to reproduce after their kinds if it was simply a local flood. Why was the ark big enough to hold all kinds of land vertebrae animals that ever existed? We said last week, the volume size of the ark could have held over 100,000 sheep on the three decks. We talked that each deck could contain 22 basketball courts. And so, how many animals went in? Well, according to their kinds, pairs, and in groups of seven pair, we only needed under 16. We wouldn't have even needed 16,000 animals inside, and that includes birds, inside the ark. What about the dinosaurs? Aren't they a little big? But not if you take baby dinosaurs. They're not. Another question. Why would birds have been sent on board if it was only a local flood? I mean, think of it. There are many birds, many species of birds who could have winged it hundreds of miles, thousands of miles to get to the other side. But all kinds were on that boat. How could the waters rise 8 meters above the mountains in Genesis 7:20 There we go. In Genesis 7 verse 20 How could the waters rise 8 meters above mountains? Because after all water seeks its own level. It will go to the untouched lands. We know that. How could how could it go that high? Uh, and so the issue here is, again, that if it's a global flood, if it's a global flood, then the waters would cover the land. Uh, I want to make some notes here. First note is the flood lasted for 150 days. Local floods do not last 150 days. Not only that, remember, it would take another 220 more days for the earth to dry. A local flood would allow some people to escape God's judgment. That's a problem. Because the point of this were all people except Noah's family were lost. And next, God would have repeatedly broken his promise in Genesis 9. Where in Genesis 9, he said he would never send a flood again. Because if it was a local flood, he has sent flood upon flood upon flood since. He would have actually broken his own word if it were local. What caused the flood? Well, obviously water. <laughs> okay, we, okay, water caused the flood. But there's some things in regard to this that have been studied in geology. The Bible is genuinely silent on what caused the flood other than water. But there have been some interesting discoveries in this area. 
The Bible teaches that the flood began with a disturbance in the ocean. In Genesis chapter 1 verse 9, God says, Let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. That's in the creation. Let the waters under the sky be gathered in one place. Let dry ground appear. Might this suggest the water and land were independent of each other? Might this suggest that there was a large mass of land together and the waters were together? We see that if you pull apart, and you've seen that in theories about if you pull apart the continents the way it is today, but if you put them all back together again, they all kind of fit like a puzzle back together. Peter spoke of something in 2 Peter where in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, he says, The heaven existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of the water, by water. Note that. The earth was formed out of the water. It's like out of the water came forth the earth, and by water. It was formed because of the water, but out of the water it came. Interesting how Peter phrased it. Perhaps there was one land mass at the time of the flood. We know this though. We know that there was a catastrophic event. Geology today has used models to reconstruct what this might look like. With a pre-flood supercontinent, plate tectonics on the ocean floor would sink under the weight of the flood. With high temperatures clashing against low temperatures. We know what that does in the environment. We know about thunderstorms and tornadoes and and all the things that take place environmentally. But when it comes to the waters, likewise, there is a surge takes place. There is a cataclysmic event when you have high temperatures hitting low temperatures coming off these ocean plates would create this, if you would, a domino effect of events that pushes vertically the ocean floor. They have been able to test this, thus providing continents. How a supercontinent went to pieces. Again, some ideas. A man by the name of Jay Beard. He's an unbeliever, non-believer. He's a secularist. Back in 1993, wrote of a model, and he called it, How a Supercontinent Went to Pieces demonstrated in which the, the demonstrated the effect as well as included a mechanism of the earth's rapid magnetic field reversal that would take place a source of hydrothermal solutions that would create these huge carved out caves across the planet and again this was from a secularist who wrote this paper you can actually look it up and read about it however The flood, however it happened. Again, we aren't given a lot of information. We're not to fixate on it, I guess. We do know this. Evidence for the flood abounds everywhere. Everywhere. We can begin to see it in a number of places. First of all, in rock layers that extend across the continents. We see rapidly buried fossils. I mean, today, we simply don't see Fish fossilizing at the bottom of rivers and oceans today. The reason is, is because they decay so quickly. The reason we don't see 
things like that or animal fossils like that decaying is because other animals scavenged them. Have you ever gone into, Lori and I just a week ago went into one of those stores that are an aquarium. You can buy your fish and stuff from those stores. I like to pop in once in a while and there, there was one we slipped into and, and, and what I get, I always, I don't know, it's maybe the sick side of me. What, I always look at the fish that die and they float at the top and watch the others eat them. And so I said, Lori, look, look, look at them eating the fish at the top. Because they scavenge each other as they die. So we simply don't see fish today fossilizing at the bottom of rivers and oceans for that very reason. We can use a modern illustration. In the last century, millions of buffalo in the United States were killed. They died. But there are virtually no fossils. Why? To form a fossil, the best way to form a fossil is to dump a load of concrete on top of it. You've got to freeze it. You've got to preserve it. Because if you don't, it'll just disappear through decay and others that come and eat it. We see that with the diminishing of the buffalo in the last century. You see, the flood provided huge amounts of sediment, exactly what was required to bury many things quickly fossilizing them over life. A few years back, Lori and I were privileged. We were in Italy. We went to Pompeii. In Pompeii, the city built in 79 AD, you know the story, it was quickly buried by an eruption of Mount Vesuvius. And in that eruption, the city was taken quickly Large-scale excavations, as a matter of fact, according to Wikipedia, and I was just looking at this again just last night, late last night. I couldn't get pictures for you. I had pictures, but I thought I can't get them trans. I was pulling out my own pictures going through them. Where large-scale, it's the longest excavation project ever. And they continue to every year reveal buried people, animals. And you can see the evidence of this, and how is this possible? Because this eruption immediately froze them in time. You can now dig back and find them frozen. Something happened to hold our fossils. Something took place. We see that thick sandstorm deposits underwater, the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon, considering the huge extent of the sandstone formation, it is staggering the amount of fast-flowing water required to carve out this canyon. This canyon was not over millions of years. There was something that rushed through and carved this out. It must have been staggering evidence of the flood. Rapid formation of things we see today. This can be seen in regard to observing forms that have taken place even just in your and my lifetime. There's one particular situation. It's here in Surrey. Let me see if I've got all three. Let me put all three up. There's an island just 32 kilometers off Iceland. The island was formed in a matter of days. <laughs> it's amazing. Back... In 1963, 57 years ago, a volcano under the sea erupted. And it pushed out this, what is now an island. 57 years ago, 
just formed. So you have the beginning, you see it happening. You see the middle picture there. In no time, this island called now Circe has turned into a lavish, lush, sandy beach, gravel banks, and lagoon island. It's a vacation spot. 57 years later, 57 years later, the island. Not hundreds of thousands, not millions. 57 years has created this island. We can talk about Hawaii. And who doesn't enjoy that? Same principle. We have the picture of rapid layering. A catastrophic, this is the evidence of a catastrophic flood from Genesis, could form many rocks layering very quickly. Not over tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of years. i give you another example, Mount St. Helen. Many of you remember when that erupted. Washington State, just a few years back. It produced 25 feet of finely layered sediment in one afternoon. One afternoon. So this brings to us evidence found not only in the flood, but we have evidence in the recessiveness of the flood. As the flood pulls back, it creates more evidence again. First of all, called massive erosion. This picture is the picture of the Devil's Tower of Wyoming. This tower today is eroding so rapidly, it could not have existed tens of thousands of years. We have, and I don't have a picture for you on this, but plantation surfaces. And plantation surfaces are like a, a giant plane being shaved over the surface of the earth, creating this mass of plantation. We have what was referred to as water gaps. You see, water, rivers, follow the path of least resistance. You know that. Streams will go the path of the least resistance. They'll go around mountains. So why do we have massive gaps coming out of our mountains? Water flowing from our mountains. Consistent with something violent took place. That locked it in and forced it to come through the middle. Such as eruptions. Teutonic plates pulling up. Pictive of a violent flood. We have rapidly formed canyons. Like Mount St. Helen produced what they call the Little Grand Canyon. Back in one afternoon in 1982. It's 140th the size of the Great, Can the Great Canyon. The Grand Canyon. And this was a result simply of minor rain floods. Producing canyons. We see it within our generation. We see a picture here of what they call dry falls. Actually taken a few years ago. It shows 120 meter high, 6 kilometers wide, named Dry Falls because actually it's in Washington State Park. It clearly was carved out by water flowing many times the rate of Niagara Falls today. But right now, actually, if you were to see it, there's actually no more water flowing. The Great Flood. It's amazing. Just some of the things of the evidence of what is left behind. I want to take you to the next passage of Scripture where it says in verse 11, in the, 600, in the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth. The floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days, 40 nights. On that, every, on that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, together with his wife and wives and three sons, entered the ark. 
They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kind, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, every bird according to its kind, everything with wings, pairs of all creatures that have breath of life in them came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God had commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut them in. For 40 days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all the high mountains and under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than 15 cubits. Every living thing that moved on land perished. Birds, livestock, wild animals, all the creatures that swam or swarm over the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry ground that had the breath of life in its nostrils died. Every living thing on the face of the earth was wiped out. People, animals, the creatures that moved along the ground. The birds were wiped from the earth. Only Noah was left and those with him in the ark. The waters flooded the earth for 150 days. This chart we pulled up a, few week, a couple of weeks ago. It shows... The lifespan. I've spent an, a significant session talking about how come the ancient patriots of that day lived so long. And there's reasons. But here the text tells us the flood began when Noah was 600 years old. And would you note on that? After Noah, no one would ever live anywhere, anywhere near as long as Noah would live. Shem, his son, died at the, at the age that Noah began his 350-year journey into the, into the post-flood world. And, of course, no one since has lived even close to that. You see the diminishing years of age. The Bible says that two by two they entered some skeptics have said that's a contradiction of verse 9, where the animals entered in pairs. However, this passage, two by two, is making reference to the mode of entry onto the ark. They entered in pairs. Other passages, other passages of scriptures are mentioning the passenger list on the ark. And then the Bible says God shuts the door. Not man, not Noah. God locks it from the outside. The point is of no return. You enter the ark, God closed the doors. God alone, God alone is your protection. God alone keeps your life. And the Bible says, and the floods covered all the earth. Again, how could it cover all the earth? But let's remember before the flood, they were not at the mountains that we have were not at the present heights we have today. On the summit of some of our highest mountains on the earth, they've been discovered in the last few years, marine limestone with fossils of bottom-dwelling crinoids. In other words, bottom-dwelling ocean creatures, fossils found at the top of mountains. These marine invertebrates were pushed up by some cataclysmic event. 
How much water does it take to cover this whole earth? Well, geology tells us that right now, today, there is more than enough water in our oceans. Should you lay low and smooth out the globe, would more than cover the entire globe. We have the burials of fossils. Such a globe-covering flood would be lethal to land-dwelling vertebrates, including man and even to many sea creatures. Many of these would be buried and formed fossils. Thus, the fossil record, listen, the fossil record is not a record of succession of ages. That's proposed in textbooks. The fossil record is a sequence of burials. The burials of fossils. We can go down and... Actually, I took this picture when we were down at the Answers to Genesis and we went through Creation Museum last summer and it began to talk of how fossils were buried. And then the blotting out of mankind. Such upheaval of the ocean floor during the flood would have produced enormous, enormous tsunamis. They have reconstructed it on small scales. Now, today, we are fortunate we have many devices to tell us a tsunami is coming. But then, if you saw a tsunami coming, it's too late, right? It is also estimated that because there was evil in those days, deaths, murders, and violence, how many people were there? It's estimated because, and we just finished talking of that, we talked about the ravenous violence of that era, that it is estimated there would have been maybe around 10 million people alive. The population would have been reduced in many ways because such violence prevailed in the time of the flood. And only eight people would survive. So verse 24, and the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. Now we see the conclusion, nothing but water over all the face of the earth. And that word prevail, and, and there another translation, the first translation I came across, it says, and the waters flooded the earth. And then I, I was checking it against some other translations, and I realized another translation used the word prevail. And I thought, well, which is it? Flooded or prevail? Because those are two very different words, in my opinion. Going back, it's actually the word prevail. It was the flood that prevailed. But the word prevail, and this is interesting. The word prevail comes from the idea of conquering. You prevailed to conquer. Oh, that makes sense. I read it again. Nothing but water over all the earth where it says the waters prevailed. The waters conquered the earth. Conquered victorious over the earth. And it would not be yet for another 110 days before the ark would rest on Ararat Mountain. I want to just bring a conclusion here because I think the conclusion speaks a picture of, of what takes place at this point. And the conclusion is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. I invite you, would you look to this? If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. Let me just share this. The flood was an example 
of judgment. If you would, that judgment is reversed back to creation. God's judgment, or the flood, takes the earth back to day three. Kind of interesting. When God separated the land and the sea, takes us back to day three. And if this were the end, it would be a sad story. If this was the end of the story, that's why we can't stop here. It'd be one sad story. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about God taking care of those he saves. I'm going to go back into Genesis chapter 8 because it's a brand new day. This is an exciting part. It's like going from Romans 7 to Romans 8. Because in Romans 8, it talks about, therefore, there is no condemnation. Therefore, you are not judged anymore because of the forgiveness of sins. And when we have this text here that we read in Romans or in Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, it says, but then God remembered Noah. And I want to take you to this passage again in Peter. And let's look to this passage here. Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. In the days of Noah, while the ark was being built, in it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. Now that's interesting. Because many times we would say they died because of the water. But let's look at it again. He says, but the people were saved through the water. Yes, people died. But salvation came through the water. This water symbolized baptism that now, today, saves you also. Not the baptism of the removal of dirt from the body. Not, the, not to go and have a bath. He says, not the baptism symbolized through uh, removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience, the pledge of a pure heart towards God. It saves you. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into the heavens and is at the right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Do you see how this all closes up? What Peter is saying, he's going back. He, talk, he goes right back to where it says, as in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah when the ark was built, only a few people were saved. And here's how they were saved. They were saved through the water. In the midst of all the destruction, in the midst of sin, and sin's judgment. Because listen, God, God's judgment isn't simply a judgment against sin. Sin already condemns us. In the sin nature, in our fallen nature, my sin has condemned me. But in the midst of sin, he gave an ark. In the midst of today, he said it was through his son, Jesus, who right now stands at the right hand of the Father. But through him and the power of it is through the resurrection. Over here, if you're visiting here and you don't know, this is our baptismal tank. And when we make a confession to Jesus Christ, when we say, God, forgive me of my sins. Lord, rescue me. The Bible says he's faithful. This is what Peter is speaking of when he says, but the remove, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the removal of your conscience towards God. Your sins have been washed away. It's as if water has washed away. No longer the water for judgment, the water of washing away your sins. How? Because Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection. And so therefore, it just makes so much more sense, doesn't it? When we go through the waters of baptism, 
So I verbally say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. See, back in those days, nobody was repenting. For generation upon generation, again, we talked about that. It was utterly evil. There was no purity and righteousness found anywhere on the earth. And then we're going to talk in a couple of weeks on our last session. We're going to talk of the Tower of Babel. Because as soon as the generations begin to procreate after this, the people rise up and they remember the incident of the flood and they rise up and say, we're going to take control of this. We're going to take control of this. And they begin to construct this power. And you see God moving in because he promised, I will never bring another destruction like this again. God moves in and he confuses the languages. And now you're going to see, in a couple of weeks, you're going to see how nations, nationalities, language groups, 6,000 of them, all around the world was formed. That flows from chapter 11 of what God designed. But here, let us today, if you're here this morning, as we talk about the power of the resurrection through the washing of his water, that's what he has accomplished today. This is our ark. It's Jesus Christ. Salvation in Christ. If you're here this morning, I invite you to open your heart to the salvation of our Lord. The Bible says, we all know. It says, eternity is placed on our heart. We know that we have not hit the mark. Sin, the word sin means missing the mark. We know inherently we have not hit the mark. That there is sin. But that I invite this morning as we come to this last moment. May our hearts just be open. God, forgive me of my sins. Lord, wash my sins. The water that judged, may the water now give freedom. Wash me as white as snow. In a few weeks, if you have committed your life to Christ, but you have not gone through the waters of baptism, I encourage you, do that. It's one of the reasons he does it, for a public testimony. But it's a public testimony that because of death in the water, not, not literally, but what he has done because of his resurrection, I now have life in Jesus Christ. So, Father in heaven, I thank you. So great a gift of salvation. I thank you that as we have gone through this chapter, we simply didn't skip over some of the harder passages. Lord, we recognize this catastrophic event that took place answers so many questions about this globe. But it also answers the questions with regard to our own sin nature. That God, our sin in itself condemns us. But that God, you have given the free gift of life through your Son, as Peter testifies, stands with all authority at the right hand of the Father. Lord, I pray every man, woman, I pray every teenager, the sound of my voice, would embrace Jesus, the Christ, the seed of the woman that would redeem us back into right relationship with our Father, that we would embrace you as our Savior, embrace you as our Lord, my God. So, Lord, we say yes to you today. We say yes again. Wash us. Make us as white as snow. Lord, the waters that once condemned it's by the washing of the water of your word to us, the promise that you would remove our sins as far as the east is from the west, that we are made righteous. We are set back in right standing with you, Father. 
Thank you, Lord. Such a great day of salvation. We rejoice in our God today. And Lord, just as you said, but you remembered Noah, so have you remembered us. And in that, we rejoice in our salvation. In the name of Jesus, would you testify to that by saying amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.